Phelps was the greatest of all time, but maybe the reason I was able to beat him was because I truly believed that I could beat him. Whereas others, with all due respect to him and to everybody else, didn't truly believe it. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was Olympic champion swimmer Chad Leclow. I'm Ed Knowles, and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. We find the very best people to talk about the biggest Olympic talking points every single week. We want you to be inspired and motivated. If you love the Olympics, subscribe right now, wherever you find your podcasts. Olympic Channel Podcast. Today, we have two swimmers who simply just don't give up. Tenacious, ambitious, with dreams of success at the Olympic Games in Tokyo next year. They are Olympic champion Chad Leclerc and refugee swimmer Rami Anis. Let's start with Chad. Take your mark. There aren't many people who could beat Michael Phelps in his prime. Chad Leclerc is one of them. In London 2012, he won the 200-metre butterfly to take Olympic gold. The close father, Bert, went on to charm the entire world with his big personality in interviews. London 2012, for the close was a success. 2016 was different. He finished fourth in the 200-metre butterfly. He called the race the worst of his career. Still, he became South Africa's most decorated Olympian. And Chad is more focused than ever. Andrew Binner took a trip to Qatar to catch up with Chad ahead of the FINA World Championships in South Korea. Olympic Channel Podcast. Okay, so today we have the pleasure of being joined by Chad Leclerc at his pre-Guanju training camp in Doha, Qatar. Chad, thank you for having us. And it's sometimes difficult to believe that you're still only 27 because you seem to be, have been around forever. <laughs> um, you've done it all. You've got world records, you've got gold medals, you've been World Swimmer of the Year a few times. Um, but what I want to know is, what is it that most, when quite a lot of swimmers burn out at a young stage in their career, what is it that keeps you swimming at, and training at such an elite level? I was very, very lucky because my father, you know, when I was a lot younger, he took it upon himself to help me uh, grow as an athlete. He didn't push me too hard. When a lot of swimmers, I feel these days, are swimming crazy mileage at the age of eight, nine, ten years old. So I feel like my dad helped me with my longevity. Um, and we started off very, very slow, enjoying the sport you know, up until in my late teens even. Looking in my late 20s, looking back, those sacrifices my dad made were vital. You know, not letting me go too hard, not letting me swim every single day as an eight-year-old. You know, it's, it's unnecessary. So, you know, my, my hunger has always been there, um, especially after defeats, actually. You know, after Olympics in Rio, I was quite disappointed with my performances. Uh, I'm not... You know, I don't want to sign like that because it's disrespectful. I'm, I'm very happy to get two silvers at the Olympic Games. It's a huge honor, but I wanted to win gold. And uh, that really motivated me for these next four years. I can't believe it's been three years already. Uh, so I'm motivated by, um, you know, I've always said I'm more dangerous when my back's against the wall. So look out for me next year. When you did win gold, when you were at London 2012, you kind of dedicated that victory to mental toughness. And that's something I think has always kind of set you out in your career. Mental toughness means to me, you just got to have a big heart, man. It's, it's simple. You can, everybody can train hard. You know, everybody does train hard. All the guys on the lineup next year at the Olympics, all seven guys are deserving to be there and of my level, maybe better. What sets them apart is coming down the stretch, you know, those, those moments where it really burns, you have to, you have to dig deep inside yourself. It's, it's, it's hard for me to describe it, you know. My, my dad always taught me never to give up right from the beginning. And I, I never, you know, I can never be disappointed in myself 
in any race because I never ever quit ever you know and I always believe that you know some of these guys I've said they may be better than me maybe stronger you know Phelps was the greatest of all time but maybe the reason I was able to beat him was because I truly believed that I could beat him whereas others with all due respect to him and to everybody else didn't truly believe it I truly believe in my heart of hearts that I will win the gold medal next year I believe that maybe maybe it never happens maybe I break my leg tomorrow I don't know what happens in life but I truly believe in myself and I know coming into the Olympic final that I am by far the mentally the most strongest person. I humbly say that, but I believe that. You've dealt with your parents' illnesses as well. How important is the characteristic of resilience? Well, for me, resilience is 100% the most important thing. You, know? you have to be resilient. You know? At the end of the day, uh, anybody can be good when times are good. But when times are bad, who steps up? The resilient people. So, you know, same for training, you know, anybody can swim well when you're feeling good, when you're feeling healthy, when you're feeling strong, when, you're, when your mind's good, everything's going good with your relationships, your girlfriend or your boyfriend, your family. But when times are tough, that's when you've got to step up because that's, you know, you've got to make the moments count. And uh, that's what I try to pride myself on. I try to pride myself on pushing through in the difficult moments. Sometimes it's really difficult, you know. I've, I've had many, many, many days in the last couple of years where I don't want to get out of bed, you know. There's been a lot of things happening personally in my life, um, outside of the pool, and of course inside of the pool with injuries and stuff like that. But sometimes, you know, you, you have to just, you have to suck it up and you have to, you have to bite the bullet, so to speak. And we've been doing a lot of interviews recently with other swimmers like Adam Peaty and Katika Hosu, and they were saying how important it is to them. They use emotion when they swim, like they either like to get angry or something's happening, that's what gets the best out of them. Um, how important is emo using emotion to you when you compete? Yes, I think emotion is very important. I think when I was younger, it was more important than now. I was, uh, you know, for example, if I was training and having a bad day with guys at school, I was, you know, as a kid, I would take it out of my training. And it really worked a lot. Um, but you've got to be very careful, that fine line, because sometimes your emotions can control you. You've got to control your emotions. That's, that's the key. You know, I think sometimes, for sure, in my career, I've had times where my emotions have got the better of me. So I, I believe now I'm much more calm, collective, um, I know what I want to do, I always want to win, I want to try to be the best I can be, but I also am a lot more controlled when I step behind the block, not as angry, should I say, as I was in the past. And uh, just to switch gears slightly, we were talking earlier about people hunting you, but you're also looked up to by some people. We touched on it with uh, Mikhanov as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with him and how you guys got to know each other? You know, we have a great story of Andrei Minikov uh, from Russia. I think he's. He's born in 2002, so he's 10 years younger than me. Um, we, uh, I saw him first at the Youth Olympic Games last year, um, Buenos Aires, and uh, I actually did his medal ceremony. I did the 100-meter butterfly where he won. He won 51-1, which is like crazy fast. I mean, that, that would have won the gold in London. It would have beaten Phelps, you know? So I was just like, this 16-year-old kid just swam unbelievable. So I went up to him and he's like, hey, man, um, you actually gave me a cap a couple of years ago. You gave it to me and my mom, and you told me to dream big. And I was like, no ways. And he's like, here I am dreaming big. So I'm like, mates, maybe slow it down a bit because you might beat me very soon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, it's, a, it's a great story. It's a great um, inspiration for me to have, to have someone like that come through. And, and I mean, he's swimming amazingly well. He's top, I think he's top three in the world at the moment. I think he's even better than me at the moment in the world. So uh, yeah, he's a great friend of mine. We ended up training together at the Energy Standard Club um, in Turkey. And uh, yeah, he's going to also be a big challenge next year at the, world, at the Olympic Games. He's got a long way to go, you know. I mean, I think of myself 10 years ago going into my first World Champs in Rome, and uh, I was just excited to be there. I was excited to race the big guys, and 
I think he's doing everything really well. I don't think he doesn't need any too much advice from me, to be honest. I think, uh, no, you just got to trust his coaches, trust his team. Very important. That's that's very important. And um, enjoy the ride, you know. Don't don't take it too seriously. Some moments, and don't let the highs be too high, and the lows be too lows. Find that happy medium. And then going back to you for Tokyo, how do you think Tokyo is going to be different to previous Olympics that you've been to for you personally? I think the Tokyo Olympics will be a lot different to the last two Olympics. Um, you know, London was such a big shock for me going there. So many people, so much support, amazing support. The British really have unbelievable support. And uh, yeah, you know, Rio was amazing. It, was, it had more of a, a fun feel to it, you know, like a samba type of on the beach, Copacabana. Um, the venues were a lot further apart than London. So it was like, there were long stretches, but when you went into beach volleyball or the water polo or the, the swimming or whatever, the running, it was really amazing. Um, I think Tokyo is going to be really, really cool. Uh, the people there are very respectful, I know that. And uh, I know this is weird to say, but I feel like everything is going to be running systematically on time. And we're saying you're still a good age. Are you thinking post-Tokyo, thinking Paris 2024 as well? Absolutely. I'm thinking well into 2024, 2028. You know, I'm still 27 years old, just turned 27. And I still believe that I'm a, I'm a young 27 because I'm still learning a lot of things. Um, this is the first year I started doing gym, doing a bit of weights. I don't know if you can notice, I got a bit of guns. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I feel like I've started to learn more things about myself. And uh, I'm training a lot more smarter than I did in the past. You know, we're training very, very hard, but also, you know, learning how to control my body a bit better with technique outside of the pool. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that maybe after Tokyo uh, 2024, I can cut down and do some more sprints and some 100 freestyle. That's an event I want to win one day. So we'll see what happens. And uh, just one final question. Um, I read recently that you wanted to be remembered as South Africa's greatest ever athlete. Um, as a half South African myself, I can say you are up there already. Um, but can you embellish a little bit more on this and tell us why that's important to you? Thank you very much. That's a huge compliment. Uh, yeah, my goal is to be the best South African ever, best African ever, should I say. Uh, I just want to go down in history as one of the greats, you know, even in sports in general. I, I like them to say that, you know, there was a young South African kid who came on the market. He beat the greatest of all time. He continued to to improve and get better, get some old records along the way. And we're just a great ambassador for the kids, you know? I think that's important, you know, to give back. Um, I know what it's like to be a fan, you know, of many people. And I've looked up to so many people and I've been so happy with meeting a lot of great people. I've been to the Laureus Sports Awards back in 2013 in, in Rio, actually, and it was amazing. I got to meet these legendary people. Uh, most of them are amazing. You know, some people I was disappointed with, you know, and I, I, I don't want any, anybody to say that about me. I want people to say that I was inspiration to my countrymen, uh, to global kids around the world. And, uh, you know, I just want to be the best that I can be and, and continue, you know, continue long into as, as long as I can go, as long as I, you know, as long as my body lets me go. Chad, I hope you're going to be around for many more years to come and we'll keep following you. But um, thank you very much for your time today. We look forward to catching up with you again in Guangzhou. And yeah, look forward to seeing you there. Thank you, guys. Thanks for your support. Olympic Channel Podcast. Big thanks to Chad. If you want to know where he is swimming in the World Championships, then I've put a link in the episode description to our epic guide. The 200-meter butterfly is on Wednesday, the 24th of July. Don't miss that one. The 100 meters is on the 26th of July. 
Now, Rami Anis also does the 100-meter butterfly. He swam for the Syrian national team until the war put stopped to that. He fled the country and ended up in Turkey. With every obstacle he's faced, Rami has never given up on his Olympic dream. He managed to get to Rio with the Olympic refugee team. His hope in 2016 was to represent his country of Syria in 2020. This isn't likely. The war continues. Rami has been selected again for the refugee team and Andrew Binner went to his training base in Istanbul, Turkey to hear Rami's incredible life story. Okay, so we are joined poolside at the Galatasaray Swimming Club in Istanbul by Rami Anis today. Um, I've just actually watched him complete a really tough early morning training session in the pool in preparation for the World Aquatic Championships in Guangzhou later this month. And I believe he actually has another training session this afternoon. So Rami, thank you for giving us some of your time between You're sessions. Um, first of all, could you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in Syria before the war? What were your memories of it? My life in Syria, it was very nice before the war. I had a lot of friends. I, I was doing everything I like in my life, staying with my family in the same, same home, visit all my family, all next to me. But, uh, you know, after the war started, everything changed. Out of my friends, they, they left to another countries. So now it's very hard to, to, to meet again. Most of the time we talk by Skype, by the social media. We cannot see them face to face. Uh, in the beginning, I thought the war, it's only a war, but it's very, very hard things to, to live with. Uh, when I left my country, I thought the war will stop after two months, three months, but okay, still no, eight years. I lost a lot of things, what I want to do in my country, so now I had only one chance to, to, to keep going hard until to achieve my dreams. So nothing will give me uh, power if I will look back. And how did you first start swimming in Syria? I started swimming when I was six years old with my uncle. My family supported me to, to start swimming. My, my uncle pushed me to, to, to do something good in swimming, to, to, go, to do a lot of competition, to, to do training camps. So my uncle and my family supported me to, to start swimming. And I know you used to swim for the Syrian national team. Was the Olympics always the goal? Did you always want to go to the Olympics? Yeah, of course. Everyone has this dream to, to go to the Olympics because it's the, the best competition in the world to, to to, to, to compete in the Olympics, to see all the best athletes in the world, to stay with them in the same village, to eat with them. It's an amazing feeling. So yeah, when I was young, I had this dream to, to go to the Olympics. And have you been back to Syria since you left? No, no, no. When I left my country, I didn't go back. Can you tell us a little bit about what the country was like when you left and what you did next? Before the war started, I represented my country a lot of time. I have gone world championship in Shanghai, world championship in uh, Italy. I, I have three gold medals in Arabic games. So I did a lot of things for my, for my Syrian team. But 
you know, after the war started, everything changed. I had to move and I have to change everything in my life. I stopped swimming with my national team. I came here to Turkey to start training with Galatasaray Club. But in the beginning, it was very hard to, to swim with any support. Uh, I couldn't compete in Turkey because of the rules. If you want to compete here in Turkey, you have to be Turkish. Uh, I stayed about four years in Turkey, then I, I decided to go to Belgium because I heard from one of, of my friends that uh, if I will go to Europe, I, I will have a chance to, to swim with any club I want. So in 2015, I decided to go to Europe and I, I moved to Belgium, I started a new life. So him and his family decided to go on an incredible journey to get to Belgium. 10 days without much food or sleep. The journey was eventually done. What wasn't so easy was you going from Turkey to Belgium. Can you tell us about that really difficult journey? When I decided to go to, to Europe, I thought the trip it will be easy, not like what I, it was. The trip started from uh, Izmir, from Izmir to, to Greece by boat. And it was very hard to, to travel with a lot of people, young people, children around you to, to get the boat and do, to travel in the sea. Uh, then from, from Greece, I traveled to Macedonia, from Macedonia to uh, Serbia, from Serbia to, Masad, uh, to Croatia, I cannot remember, it was so hard, 10 days, uh, we couldn't eat, we couldn't sleep, uh, yeah, but after 10 days left, so everything changed and start new life. And what possessions did you have with you? I got only small bag with me, we had nothing like in the in the in the road they, they they were giving us some food some places to rest a little bit then i arrived to belgium um and what was your communication with your family at this time my father he decided to live before us to to belgium to find new life and after that i decided with my young brother to to to, to move to belgium we are three brothers my, my old brother, he, he, he lives in Turkey, so he didn't want to go to Europe. So I only traveled with my young brother and my father already was in uh, Belgium. And uh, how did you start swimming over there? Did you just go and find a local club? Uh, when I just remember when I arrived to Belgium, I, I checked in the internet and I found the, the number of uh, Federation of Belgium. I called them, I explained them about my story. Uh, they were very, very friendly to, to welcoming me. And what was the hardest thing about being in Belgium? Sort of, was it the culture? Was it the language? What was the most, was it not seeing your family? What was the most difficult thing? You know, it's uh, very, very hard to start from nothing. And when I, when I arrived to, to Belgium, I had to start uh, learning the, the language, meeting new friends, find new home find new people, 
start swimming with new club. Yeah, it's not easy for anyone to, to start from nothing and I start from nothing and I, I, I went to the Olympics. In Belgium, Rami met a new coach. Like another mother, he says. Karine Vabauen got Rami into shape and he was eventually selected for the Olympic refugee team. He was going to Rio 2016. So how did the opportunity with the refugee team at the Olympics come about? It's very hard to, to represent another team, another country, like it was hard for me to, to take another flag, like before I, I was represented my, my country to take my flag to, to, to swim with all my friends. So in the, at the same time, I was very proud to represent more than 65 million refugees around the world to show them that yeah we have dreams, we had a lot of things to do. We, we didn't left our, our country for money or for a new life or for a new job we left because of the war because of the problem in our life so it was an amazing experience for me to to represent more than 65 million refugees around the world yeah to show all the people yeah we are here we we are hum human we have everything what you have so it was everything nice and uh, what did your fa how proud of you were your family? How excited were they? Yeah, my, my family were very proud of me to, to continue my, 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 my dreams, to, to continue my swimming, to don't give up. So always pushing me, Rami, you can do it. Do whatever you want, but you have to keep swimming. Don't give up even if you have war in your country, even if you have a lot of problems, until to achieve what you want. And can you describe your emotions when you got to the Olympic Village and you started seeing all these like Olympic stars? Yeah, it was like a dream for me. I remember one thing, I was eating in the restaurant of the, of the, of the village and just I looked to my right side, I, I found Rafael Nadal, he was eating next to me. I, I said, oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's a very nice feeling to, to eat with all the best athletes in the world, to see them, to meet with them, to swim with them in the same swimming pool. Yeah, amazing feeling. And you ended up swimming a personal best time and the crowd gave you a standing ovation. How did that feel? Yeah, actually I did my personal best, but now for Tokyo I want to do something else, not only to compete, I want to achieve something good, not only to do my personal best, I hope that. Uh, so until Tokyo, I will see what I can do. But how does it feel when you go online and you see all the messages of support and the fact that you're inspiring so many people back home? When my friends saw me in the Olympics, they, they looked at me like, look, he left from, from the war, but he's still doing what he wants. He achieved what he wants. So I give, I give power to, to, to the Syrian people, I think, to, to continue our, the, their dreams. Rami received a standing ovation at Rio 2016 for achieving his personal best time. His dream to represent Syria at Tokyo 2020 looks to be over. But Rami is a big believer in the refugee team.
when do you think, do you think it'll be after Tokyo, the Olympics after that, that you and other Syrians might be able to compete again for Syria instead of the refugee? Our problems, we cannot, we cannot see our future. Because I told you, when the war started, I got my small pack with me. I thought the war will stop two months. So I'm already here eight years and I cannot tell you I wish from my heart to go back to my, to my country, to represent my, my team again, to, to take my flag with me, to swim with my friends there. So it's a hope. So I wish to go back to, to my country, to, to represent my country again in, uh, in the Olympics. And what do you think is the message of the refugee team? Why is it so important? My message to all the refugees around the world that Never give up in your life, even if you have war, even if you have a lot of problems. You have to keep going hard until to achieve what you want, what you dreamed for. So do what, what, what you like, do what, something you, you, you want to do. Well, Rami, thank you so, so much for sharing your inspiring story with us. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing you in action in Gwangju in Tokyo. And more importantly, I hope to see you at some stage representing Syria in the not too distant future. Um, thank you again for today Please and good come. luck in Korea. Please come. Thank you. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel Podcast. So much thanks to Rami, Chad, of course, and Andrew. I've put everyone's social media handles in the episode description. If you want to give anyone a follow, that's the place to go and have a look first. Andrew is actually already in South Korea, Gwangju, for the FINA World Aquatics Championships. Our daily blog is up and running too. I've posted a link for that in the episode description. Or just keep across our social handles. We are at Olympic Channel for your very latest on all that. If you like this episode, then why do you take a listen to friend of the podcast and all-round amazing woman, Yusra Mardini. She is also a refugee from Syria who literally got into the water to save people on a boat who were trying to escape the war. Here's a clip. I'm a person who's gonna, you know, post the whole time about refugees and about what's happening, about negativity only, because I wanna get more positive in the world. And um, those pictures, you see them every day on the news. So I don't wanna make my Instagram also all about it, but they are still in my heart and I am seeing them and I'm talking to them and I'm going to them and hearing their stories. So I think this is better than posting on Instagram, right? Olympic Channel Podcast. If you've enjoyed this week's episode or indeed any episode, then tell your friends. If you can put it up on your Instagram story and give us a tag, that would be absolutely amazing. As would a five-star review on the podcast app. If you can write something in the review, maybe an inspirational quote or something, that would be great as well. That is it for now, though. See you soon. Think, Think like an Olympian. Olympian.